Today on the Multiply Podcast, we're talking about the look of a disciple. Check it out. Hey everybody, welcome to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared. My name is David. We're glad you're back with us or tuning in for the first time. Where you been? Where you been? Where you been? We, uh, You're missing out. Late this, to the party. Late to the party. This has been fun. This has been great. But uh, we'll forgive you, right, Dave? Mm-hmm. But not forget. <laughs> we never, always forgive, never forget. Just anyway, like Jesus said it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we're, uh, we are glad you're here, and we're excited to, uh, to be back on the Multiply Podcast. And today we'll be just you and I, no guests today. Oh, man, I'm going to have to really carry the load. I think so. That's probably true. Um, anyway, how you been, Dave? What's going I'm, on? Man, I'm... So I don't know if we've talked about this yet on our podcast, but I'm a huge uh, EPL fan. I think we did. I'm a huge uh, English Premier League fan, and this weekend it starts up, and my team, Liverpool, is looking stronger than they have in probably um, at least a decade. So I'm uh, I'm super pumped. Now correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't You're they wrong. lose in some sort of pivotal match recently? Well, they made it last year against all odds. I mean – Against all right. odds, um, and you would know because you have a gambling problem. Uh, <laughs> they they made it to the Champions League final, which is like the World Series of European soccer. Yeah, and they did lose to um, Real Madrid, which in Spanish is loosely translated the cheaters. <laughs> and uh, but it was a great thing to get there, and really, honestly, beyond anybody's expectation. And now they're stronger than they were last year, and. They're ready for their run, and mm. uh, I am so, so excited. So you're saying that this uh, loss is really going to propel them to the sweet taste of victory this year. That's what I am praying. Okay, well, uh, you know, for those who are soccer fans, God bless. Hope you enjoy the rest of us. Realize how boring it is. Um, but we're uh, we're praying for you. We're in your corner, you know. So deceived. Today we're, uh, we're excited to talk about... Um, a topic that actually was asked of us by a friend who's been listening to the podcast, and uh, he said, "Hey, could you guys talk about this? We'd love to love to hear your thoughts on this." And so we wanted to talk about the look of a disciple, which really means what when you disciple somebody, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and and you're taking them through the journey of the process. What are some of the things that uh, you can see in them? at the end of that process. So you know, hey, this is a at least a somewhat fully formed disciple. What does that look like? How do how do we measure that? What are the metrics for that? And so uh, we want to talk about that today and dive in and hopefully uh, hopefully share some stuff that would be helpful for you that you could uh, apply to your setting and your context. So um, we want to start off, Dave, do you want to get, do you want to start or you want me to start? What do you think? Well, how, let's start with answering a question and I'll, I'll ask you this. Um, why is this so important? Like, why do we need to have clarity on discipleship outcomes? Can't we just do our best and do what we think is right and then just trust God with it? Which, of course, ultimately we are trusting God with it. But why even have this sort of clarity? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's so hugely important. And um, and, and the reason being is because if you don't know, um, if you don't know where the end goal is, right, here's where we want to get to. Mm-hmm. And then allow yourself to backtrack from there. So you say, all right, here's the end goal. Now, how do we get there? Let's create a strategy to get us there. If you don't know what that end goal looks like, 
you'll do a lot of stuff and you'll be really busy, but you'll have no way of knowing whether you ever got to the destination that you were wanting to get to. Sure. And I think that's a problem with a lot of churches and a lot of Christians is like, um, we're so afraid. We just want to do stuff. We want to be busy. We want to, you know, pastors want to have stuff on the calendar. They want to have the church doors open. And so we kind of just do, we do, we do, but we don't ever have a target and goal to say, if we're called to make disciples, here's what a disciple looks like. So to have that picture in mind allows us to backtrack and then say, okay, now how do we get someone from where they're at to that point? Yeah, and I, I would add that there's there's also false metrics out there, right? Or at least insufficient, incomplete um, metrics. I remember years ago being, um, I, I forget where I was, I was in some sort of a training, and they laid out all these qualities of good things like memorize scripture and faithfully tithed and uh, sort of very regular with uh, church attendance and and they all look like it looked like there's a list of just amazing metrics and and they they are good things but then they sort of revealed like this this is what the life of the Pharisees was like like these are all things that they were good at and so not so much to say that those things aren't outworkings of discipleship but they may be incomplete if we just so there's two mistakes I think one is having no target on the wall which is what you were talking about. And if there's no target on the wall, then you don't know if you've hit it and you just kind of throw, yeah. you know, close your eyes and throw darts. Uh, but the other one is having maybe a target that is t- that is almost behind the real target, if that makes sense. So behind the real target are some behaviors. And we are going to talk about some behaviors, of course, because that's the easiest thing to measure. But we got to make sure that we're looking at the target before that target, which is things like belief um, and 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 a heart that worships Christ. And so I think just having the conversation is helpful because it's very easy to reduce discipleship to a checklist, which of course um, can be a very dangerous way for your heart to lead yourself because then it's very much about my accomplishments and what I've been able to achieve. So I think for all these reasons, this is a great conversation. I know that you have three that you want to share. Uh, I've thought of three better ones that I'll share later, so everybody will stay tuned to the end. Mm. Um, But uh, let's start with your three. Okay, sweet. So I actually um, have been really influenced in my life and my ministry by Chi Alpha, which is a ministry uh, to college students. Um, connected with the Assemblies of God, and they've been a huge, um, a huge influence in my life into what discipleship looks like. And so I'm borrowing some language from them, and I think it's worked well. It's um, we've used it as when I was a young adult pastor, I used it and saw so much fruit. And so uh, my three are also uh, they they have a nice little sound to them, mm-hmm. okay? Because each one starts with the word real. And um, so we're going to talk about, number one, a real devotional life, number two, real relationships, and number three, real responsibility. And so these are kind of real practical, easy to measure, but super, super important, and certainly not an exhaustive list, but if someone has these three things operating in their life, it's a pretty good indication that they're moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And so the first one would be um, real devotional life, which is kind of the easiest one, but it's the concept and the idea of... Um, does somebody have evidence of a real personal relationship with Jesus? Um, which, of course, obviously is incredibly important if they're going to be a disciple who is making disciples, right? Like, they have to know who Jesus is. They have to have a personal walk with him. And the best way that I think we can lead people into that is through helping them develop spiritual discipline of daily spending time with God. And um, Dick Brogdon, who's 
written a lot and talked a lot about this. He talks about the concept of abiding with Christ. Yeah. And um and he's a you know he's a missionary in the Middle East and he basically has made the statement several times and I think he actually wrote a whole dissertation on this his doctoral dissertation about the concept that the best way if you want to make disciples the best way the most effective thing you can do is to spend time abiding with Jesus every day. Which is kind of crazy, right? But so the best way to reach lost people is to not spend time with them, but to spend more time with Jesus by yourself. And he gives a whole argument of why and how that um, how that actually works. And I'm and I'm convinced he's right. And this is actually the area of my life where I think, man, I need to grow more in this because mm-hmm. my tendency is to get so busy. But um, in reality, I need to pull away. So, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, I think this. Um, you know, Jesus says in John fifteen five that if you remain in me and I remain in you, if you if you abide in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. And then he kind of tags on this little, like, not a threat, but sort of like a, sh- a warning uh, message. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a helpful reminder right off the bat that when we think of what it means to bear fruit for Christ, uh, there's no fruit apart from him. And even the fruit of the Spirit that Paul writes about in Galatians 5, I think it's easy to forget it's the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah. So he's producing that fruit in our lives. We're not mustering up that fruit. So how does that fruit, um, how does that fruit uh, mature and grow? Well, it's through abiding. And the the New Testament is loaded with all this sort of organic botanical uh, language about trees being planted and growing, and sort of this inevitability of fruit when you're planted in the right place. Yeah. And so I think this idea of being alone with Jesus, having a real devotional life. Uh, what you know? What are some of the different components of a what you would call a real devotional life. If someone was saying, I, I'm doing this and I'm doing this, are there, what are the things that people, uh, what should that look like? Well, I mean, obviously you don't want to get overly, um, uh, overly kind of putting boundaries on this is exactly what it has to look like. You know, I, I know people have said, you got to, it's got to be first thing in the morning and it's got to be this amount of time or this amount of time. And I do think, um, I do think, there has to be a, a strong discipline aspect to it. Um, and I don't, I don't know about you, but I feel like in the last, I don't know, 10 to 15 years, especially amongst young pastors, there's kind of been this pushback against discipline where it's like le- discipline and legalism have been confused with each other. Self-discipline. Right. Yeah. So, you know, so spiritual discipline, self-discipline. So there's this almost this idea that permeated, which is if I if I don't want to do yeah. it, yeah. like then it's not it's not right, and I shouldn't do it. I yeah. should, you know what I mean. And I remember talking to students, and it's like, well, I don't feel I don't want to read my Bible, so I should only read my Bible if I want to do it, and that's totally insane, right? Yeah. Like it's crazy. Yeah, because because most mornings we don't wake up. We're still struggling within our lives to love Jesus, and still battling with our flesh. And it's not in our nature, even though we've been given this new nature, we still struggle with this old nature of, I don't, you know, I'd rather watch Netflix than read my Bible. I'd rather cruise sure. through Facebook than read a devotional. And I think um, there has been some healthy uh, examination of legalism and some healthy shifting from it. But I think it's Martin Luther who said, the history of theology is like a, a drunk man getting on a horse, falling off one side getting on the horse, falling off the other side, and sort of this swinging to extremes. Yep. And I think you're probably right that um, there is this sense of like, it's a romanticism really of our relationship with God, like I should feel something. And some of that's due maybe to some of the songs we sing and the environments we've created for them growing up, yep. that like unless they feel something, it's not really God. Well, 
um, in James K. A. Smith's book, You Are What You Love, he talk, He really helped me with this because I was struggling with this. And he talked a lot about the role of imitation and practice mm. in becoming a disciple. And um, it's really shifted the way I think even about the way we gather when we bring students together or, or people together for discipleship. Instead of just create environments where they might hear from God, feel something, we need to create some laboratory-type environments where they imitate some practices and practice some spiritual disciplines so that they can develop sort of the spiritual muscle memory that they can do it when they're in this environment that you're talking about, right. personal devotional time. So that that could look like, hey, on a Wednesday night youth service, hey, guys, we're going to take five minutes. Here's a passage. Everybody mm-hmm. on their own, read it. And then we want you to take the next five minutes and circle the words or or journal about what stands out to you the most in this, right? Mm-hmm. And then the, the message to them is you guys can do this every day. Like every morning, you could do this on your own, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's I think that's a great um, a great wisdom and insight. And so basically, I would say I think what it needs to look like is there has to be an element of discipline. For me, I do think mornings work because the propensity of my heart is to believe things that are not true, to not believe the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, it makes more sense to start my day by speaking truth versus sure ending my day. Um, well, if I woke up every morning and looked in your mirror. <laughs> I would need to be reminded of the gospel too. That is that is true. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so yeah, so that's the first one, which is um, uh, personal personal devotional life, and I think that's huge, and we we can't skip over that. We've mm-hmm. got to we got to make that a priority. Uh, the second one is real relationships, and this is the idea of everybody needs a Paul, and everyone. Um, needs uh, a Timothy, mm-hmm. you know? So we all need somebody like a Paul who's... Or dis- Paulette. Or Paulette. Or a Timothy. A, t- t- yeah, sure, that works, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, we all need a Paul who's discipling us, someone who's pouring into our life, someone who's feeding us. And we all should have a Timothy, someone who we are discipling. And I think this is so important, Yeah, but... It's amazing to me how overlooked it is in the church. What do you think part of the problem is, is that we've made discipleship very narrow to like a classroom setting or a program or something they experience inside a church as opposed to something that happens in all of life. And so there's something intimidating about the idea of discipling somebody until you realize, I mean, this is the way I tend to talk about discipleship in our local church. It's living a life worth sharing. And we define that life in a variety of ways centered on the gospel, dependent upon the spirit. But it's living a life worth sharing and then sharing it two ways, intentionally and generously. Mm. So on purpose, but also with great generosity. Uh, and so when you begin to broaden the understanding of what discipleship looks like, you realize I can share life with people when I'm playing basketball with them, um, when I'm working on the car, uh, when we're going shopping together. So not to say that the other environment of training and teaching of scriptures isn't important. Of course, that is. But discipleship isn't only that. It's really all of life. And we see that, of course, in the way that Jesus discipled uh, his 12. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for a lot of churches, there's a, there's two things that come to my mind is, one, we we forget that we all have already been given a mission, right, which is to go and make disciples. Like, it's kind of simple. We Young adults and college students wrestle with, like, what's God called me to do? What's God called me to do? And I'm always like, well, you already know what he's called you to do. Like, there may be some confusion about your job. No, who or, am I going to marry? Yeah, or yeah, exactly. Who Which gonna, model am I marrying? <laughs> Which Swedish model has God handpicked for me? <laughs> but the idea of what's your mission, we all have it. Like, 
it's very clear in Scripture. If you're a follower of Jesus, your mission is to go and make disciples. Yeah. Like and post on Facebook about po- politics. Yes. Uh, no, that's a, that's not. <laughs> so, um, so if that's the case, then in the local church, I think one of the things that gets in the way of that happening is, to your point, is we've we've relegated discipleship to teaching environments or to programs. And so what it looks like is it's a, you know, it's a classroom setting where it's mm-hmm. one teacher, one pastor, quote unquote, discipling 30 people. Lecture, information is, transfer. Right, information transfer. Um, and then churches are so busy, their calendars are so busy that nobody even has time to, to be engaged in real meaningful, mm-hmm. and like you talked about, generous and intentional relationships, which takes time. Yeah. So people are out three, four nights a week. They have families. They have kids. Sure. And then the pastors wonder why there's not discipleship happening. Yeah. Um, That's good. All right. Third one is this, real responsibility. And what this means is... You are seriously committed to the mission of reaching lost people. Mm. So I'm interested to hear from you, um, although it's mine, but I'm guessing you would agree with it. What does that look like? What does it look like for someone to be seriously committed to reaching lost? Well, I think you take responsibility for the people that God has given you influence over, right? So at at our church, our... Um, our vision statement is that we would see gospel transformation in every area of our lives and in every life in our area. And so we define area as really anywhere we have influence, anywhere we have, anywhere our footprint goes. And so um, I read a quote, oh no, actually my friend, a pastor in Houston, uh, sent me a John Piper quote earlier this week, and uh, man, it really convicted me. Oh, here it is. John Piper said, does it lie within your power right now? Talking to pastors, does it lie within your power right now to weep over the spiritual destruction of the people that live on your street? Mm. And I was like, I hate you, Piper. I Piper, hate you, you so son much. of a gun. <laughs> but I thought, man, it's so easy, even as pastors, to not take personal responsibility for our area, but rather to take this sort of corporate responsibility for a church. Yeah. And we get caught up in the mechanics of um, managing things and leading things and setting things up. And we forget, like, man, I, I have to take responsibility for my neighbors. Like, God's placed me here. They're in my area. And ultimately, it's unacceptable that people in our communities live and die without a hearing an accurate and adequate uh, presentation of the gospel and seeing it visibly lived out in our lives. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's great. I think it's so true. And one of the simple metrics um, that I think you can do for this, and it's a question you can ask people in your church, which is a really challenging question, but is who in your life right now is far from God or doesn't know Jesus that you are in an intentional relationship with? Mm. You know what I mean? Like who is it that you've been thinking about, you've been praying for, you've been trying to build relationship? Is it your neighbor? Because in reality, I think all of us should have at least one person, right? And I know for for myself, when, when I was in a local church before the position I'm in now, that's what really challenged us to change and create a new discipleship model is we started looking at a church of 2,000 people and the, how many of these people really know or are in deep relationship with someone who doesn't know Jesus. And what yeah. we realized is it's a pretty small percentage. Sure. You know, and so challenging people to say, who right now are you intentionally pursuing for pursuing? Who are you right now intentionally fighting for spiritually? And you're talking about having a Timothy, right? 
So yeah. the person you're pouring into, but it all starts with having a Paul. Right. And I think that's the challenge, you know, that we need more spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers in the church who are willing to not just show up and serve once every four weeks in the nursery and be regular in church, but actually like inconvenience the rhythm of their lives beyond Sunday mm. so that they can be pouring into other people. And so uh, I think, you know, that's a, that's a big part. That's a big outcome for discipleship. Yeah. All right, so my three, real devotional life, real relationships. you got to have a Paul, you got to have a Timothy, and then real responsibility. Are you really committed to reaching lost people? Let's hear your three. Yeah, and I think we can be really quick with these. Um, but the first one, I think, is maybe the more sort of Christianese term is faithfulness. But I want to use the term consistency. I think there's lots of Christians who have these huge highs and then these huge lows. And I understand that life can throw us into the, that cycle. But generally speaking, when I'm looking for an outcome of a disciple is that there's an increasing level of consistency and reliability in their lives. So they're not, they're, they're steady hmm. and they're learning uh, to trust God in different seasons and in different ways. And they're reliable in ways that they've been called to serve. So if somebody's like, man, I'm all in to serve in kids' church, and they like bail at the last minute every other time, to me, that's a spiritual issue. Like, that's more than a scheduling issue. Yeah. Um, there's some sort of lack of uh, reliability, and that's a discipleship issue. Second thing I would say is increasing generosity and hospitality. Recently, I was talking with the leaders in our church, and we were looking at Paul's definitions of deacons. And one of the qualities that he throws in there, I forget which list it is, that surprised all of us, was basically willing to, like, hospitable to people in their home. I understand that's 2,000 years ago, and it's a different culture. We have to kind of recontextualize it a little bit. Having people in your home might have looked and meant something different back then than it means now. But the basic principle of hospitality hasn't changed. And I think in this current climate, hospitality is going to be one of the great tools of discipleship, both pre-conversion and post-conversion discipleship. And then the last one I'll say is this. Um, to me, one of the key marks of a disciple is a lifestyle of repentance. So um, most of my life, I thought repentance was like either a one-time deal or something I did like at summer camp and felt really crummy about or on a Sunday <laughs> night service. But the idea that repentance is a continual reorienting of our heart away from lesser things to God, um, and it and it takes great humility to yeah. recognize I, I need um, to turn back to Jesus away from these things, and it takes the work of the Spirit to even enable our hearts to do so. So those are my three, um, consistency, generosity slash hospitality, and then this lifestyle of repentance. Yeah, those are those are great. I think um, a couple of things come to my mind is with the consistency one, I think it's huge because if you've been in ministry or a leader in, a, in any capacity, you know that there's certain times where it's really exciting to jump on board, right? Like I remember when we were kind of relaunching our young adult ministry, it was like all these people came out of the woodwork and like, oh man, this is so cool. Like you're sharing vision, you're talking about what could be, um, and uh, and telling stories that are inspiring, right? And you've got all these people coming out of the woodwork and like, man, this is awesome. I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of it. And I, I remember, if you've been around long enough, you realize what you need to say is, okay, well, why don't you just start coming out, you know, coming out, being a part of it. Yeah. And it's like, it would last like one week or two weeks and those people wouldn't be around anymore. And these are people that at first are committing to you like, oh, I'll be, I'm all in, I'm totally here, you know? And so that weeding out of those who are willing to continue and stick to the mission of God and the mission of your church, even when the quote unquote sexiness of the 
the thing that you're doing wears off. Like discipleship is hard, man. Discipleship is a long-term endeavor. And so who are those people that are that are committed to it day in and day out? Mm-hmm. And then the other thing you, you mentioned that I thought was really good is the hospitality piece. Because actually, as you were talking about opening up your homes, um, I think this is more necessary today than ever. Mm-hmm. And here's why. Because culture today is more kind of private than it's ever been. Like the idea of people, you know, back in the day, neighbors were constantly coming over. They were taught, they were hanging out. Now your house is kind of like your don't enter here, right? We'll build a big fence. We'll put the locks on the doors. Oh, yeah. like, so For sure, in our culture. In yeah. our culture today, that's so f- when you say to somebody, hey, you want to come to my house? Like there's a level of intim- intimacy there that is kind of countercultural in a lot of ways. And so I think it means so much more to people mm-hmm. when you do that today than it probably did 20, 30 years ago, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, when we talk about generosity, of course, and hospitality, but specifically generosity, we're not just talking about money, right? Generous with your, your talent, your treasure, but um, also your time yeah. and sort of that willingness to give of yourself and inconvenience yourself for not just for the approval of your leader, of course, but for the mission of God. Yeah. All right. Give us those three one more time. So number one, it was consistency. Number two, generosity slash hospitality. I think those go kind of hand in hand. And number three is a sort of a daily rhythm of repentance. Awesome. Well, hey, we hope that's helpful for you and uh, and at least some starting metrics for you as you're looking at what is a fully formed disciple look like. Uh, we want to we move into the most important part of the podcast if you're a regular listener. It's what really everybody tunes into, which is uh, our David's Eats portion. We may need to start putting this at different points in the podcast because statistics are telling us that most of our listeners are just skipping to the end. That's right. Yeah, that's that's the analytics we're getting. People are fast forwarding immediately to the last like five minutes so they can hear about this. Um, but, you know, if you don't know, David is known for his foodie style. And uh, I, I hear him preach almost every week because I go to his church and Basically, every sermon intro he does is some sort of food-related thing, <laughs> adventure that he's had. So One trick pony. Yeah, so uh, he's going to share with us what's the, what's the best thing you've eaten this week. Well, you were there. Mm. So there's a grocery store up here that, in God's sovereignty, he has blessed us with in upstate New York. They're starting to spread out beyond New York and into even as far away as, like, I think Virginia and Maryland. So blessed are you, Virginia and Maryland. Um, but it's called <laughs> yeah. Wegmans. Wegmans always ends up on the list of, like, Forbes list of, like, top places to work. But they were running a deal on lobster, fresh lobster for six ninety nine a pound, which is insane. You know, the next day I went to Costco's, which I also like a lot, and they had frozen lobster tail. So not fresh, frozen lobster tail for twenty four ninety nine a pound. Oh my goodness. Now I'm wondering if I should have bought more lobster and frozen it. Yeah. And sold it to Costco's. We should have. But anyway, so we got the lobster and by the way, lobster's so easy to cook, you just make a water full of uh or sorry, make a pot full of boiling water. Make sure you salt it good like you're salting for pasta. Almost very salty, almost like the ocean. And then uh, you drop it and um, you do six minutes for a pound and then three minutes for each additional pound. So these were about a pound and a half, uh, a little less than that. So we did them for about seven minutes and they come out. Of course, you got to let them cool off. Uh, you need to get some of those like uh, seafood um, little devices called crackers, I think, to crack the claws. 
And uh, man, you and me and Jen. Now my wife Erin won't eat it, so we got to split five five lobsters. And I just want to do a little shout out to your wife Jen because she showed us how to get meat out of the <laughs> head of a lobster that I never knew existed. She's like a she's like a miner. She, um, she will <laughs> dig deep in that lobster. It was pretty impressive. But uh, lobster with then a little garlic butter on the side, and that is to me that's about the best thing you can eat summertime. Yeah. Well, and you didn't share this, but you made a little side. Uh, a little side chorizo sausage to mm. go with it. Yeah, Spanish which, chorizo sausage. Which oh. That little spiciness against mm. the sweetness of the uh, lobster. Just a great combo. We ate like kings, and then we had a little, little corn. And, yeah, it uh, was a night to remember. we just passed out in each beautiful. other's arms. <laughs> That's not true, but <laughs> it was a beautiful night. It was great food. So, hey, thanks, guys, so much for listening. This is the Multiply Podcast. My name's Jared. My name's David. We'll see you next time.